You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network. Hosted by Blake Murphy 7, all about your Arizona Cardinals. to the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Thank you guys at least for joining us. For the, we are going to be talking at least with Aaron Freeman at Falk Fans, I believe. Yeah, that's, that's the correct. I had to double check the spelling. You've been a guy we've had on the podcast before, from my recollection, at least talking about the Cardinals and Falcons. This is kind of a very different Cardinals and Falcons team that we're facing this year and a different matchup than maybe we are expecting. Uh, but before we get into that, how are you doing today coming off of the holiday season? I'm doing good. I've been spending the last couple of days with uh, family members that are still, you know, going to be around uh, through New Year. So I've been enjoying that, uh, you know, hanging out with 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 folks. So it's uh, it's been a, a lovely holiday so far. That's awesome. Yeah, I've I'm in post uh, post Christmas season syndrome where all of the decorations are still up. All of like, you know, the gift wrapping boxes are getting tossed. At least I've got my second cup of coffee this morning just because of your. You know, been kind of just pushing to get through the holidays. A lot of the other teams, at least, usually can be pushing for a playoff spot right now. Um, there's a nice transition. Uh, Cardinals and Falcons are two teams that are not. They've both been eliminated from the playoffs. Uh, for Arizona, this is maybe a surprise to some of us and some of the fans, given the high expectations that 2021 did. Uh, but start the year... Matt Ryan ends up being traded, at least. You had reports, at least, of the Falcons pursuing, at least, Deshaun Watson. How far that went or not was something, at least, that you won't know because he is now a Cleveland Brown member, at least, for the most part, and has had the entire off-field scenario, which has just been kind of rough, at least, to be able to talk about. But avoiding anything outside of that, this seemed like it was going to be more of a rebuilding, retooling year for the Falcons as a result. Where does that currently stand? Is fans more optimistic about the team as far as forgetting some of that reset and being able to get back into comp- competing? Or is it more of a pessimism for this season, similar to how a lot of Cardinals fans, you know, you talk to them, they, they don't know if they're going to win another game ever, it seems like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I would say I'm generally optimistic. I would say probably with the fans, it's probably more optimism. But then I read my YouTube comments and mm-hmm. then you'll hear somebody being like, they need to fire everybody and this team stinks. And then you're like, okay, but that's that's a little different. So th- there's a couple of pe- pessimists out there. Um, you know, for me this season, as you say, it was is about starting their rebuild. Uh, and, you know, coming off of last year, I, I know that the general gist was – hey, you know, how did this Falcon team win seven games with this, you know, bottom shelf roster? And I, I didn't necessarily, and, and so I think the the common perspective was, is this coaching staff, this coaching staff is good because they were able to figure out a way to win, you know, more games than a lot of people thought they would. But when I looked at their season a year ago, you know, they were basically just beating up the worst teams in the league and, and just barely beating those teams. And so mm. I was kind of, and then when they would play like, you know, playoff teams, they would get absolutely blown out. And so for me, a big question I had going into the season was, is this coaching staff good? And can they get this team to play above, you know, just basically being barely better than teams that are going to be picking in the top five of the draft and actually be a competitive team. And that's been to me, the biggest positive I've taken away from the season is that the Falcons outside of one or two games have been very competitive and every game has gone down to basically the final possession 
uh, in, in pretty much every game this year. And that, to me, is a, a major step forward for this coaching staff uh, in, in believing that they can get this team to you know play above itself, even if you look at the roster as one of the weaker rosters in the NFL, as so many people do. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel that's what kind of fuels my optimism moving forward that next year when, when they have – you know, all of a sudden that cap space is, can start really adding, you know, some difference makers, hopefully on the defensive side of the ball in the offseason, that you will see this team make a, a significant leap forward and, and potentially push uh, and be a true playoff contender by the time we get to this point next year. Mm. I think that's really great, at least. For me, the, the Falcons have been that team that it feels like has been in that reset year, and it'll be interesting to see how much of the young talent ends up being able to hit, I think, going forward in the future, especially since there has been success we've seen in the running attack this year. But uh, let's talk a little bit more now. You've been the host of the Lockdown Falcons podcast, and you've had our uh, friend who's actually joined us before, Alex Clancy. Now, he and I are very different, I think, in how I view the team, at least for the most part. Like, I think the way I've described it is I may see the glass is half full, and then Alex would be the guy who would basically, like, say that the glass is leaking a hole in the bottom of it or something at times so curious to kind of get some of your perspective at least obviously you know try to have cardinals fans listen to lots of stuff at least i'm sure you guys had a fun time with your episode at least that you've either have recorded or are going to be recording but what was some of your perspective be steve kime the cardinals general manager he's been pretty much my malign especially with the lack of success in draft picks being made up for it with some very opportune trades. Uh, he's stepped away from the team. There's a lot of question marks if he'll be back. So let's talk about with what has your perspective been on with Cliff and Kyler Murray? Because both have been polarizing to a very large degree. And with Kyler Murray on IR for the season, a lot of people are questioning about Cliff Kingsbury being able to, uh, you know, being the head coach of the team moving forward. There's been questions whether Kyle Kyler's coming back from the ACL injury. This team seemed like they were all ready to jump into this form of dominance in the NFL, and instead it feels like the bottom has fallen out of the team. What are your some th- what are some of your thoughts, excuse me, on Arizona's head coach and even their quarterback? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've heard a lot of Alex's uh, anti-Cliff rants over the years, and I think uh, he's swayed me enough that I, I do have a little bit more of uh, a bias against Cliff Kingsbury uh, than probably your average outside um, person. So, you know, to me, it does feel like they're going to, they probably should be looking to sort of revamp the coaching staff, revamp the front office and and see if somebody else, a new GM, a, a new head coach can come in and, and, and figure this thing out with Kyler because it, it always has felt even when the Cardinals have been good, like last year, um, there was something missing, right? It was just something that they just couldn't quite get from a coaching standpoint, from a play calling standpoint. And, you know, a lot of people joked about how they would start the season very strong. And then usually around November and certainly into December, like would suddenly morph into this middling football team. And, you know, some of that finger pointing was to the coaching staff. So, uh, you know, from from my perspective, you know, I think bringing a new blood in here probably is the right thing to do. Um, you know, obviously with Kyler dealing with that ACL injury and, you know, people saying, OK, maybe he's ready for week one, but maybe he's not. You know, like you, you kind of if if you're going to struggle next year, which it seems like is likely to happen, uh, regardless of what coaching changes or front office changes you have, I think that would be the perfect opportunity to bring in somebody else 
uh, new that, you know, where you won't necessarily have these high expectations because if you bring back Cliff Kingsbury in, under those circumstances, like the expectation is going to be like playoffs or bust, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, that wouldn't be necessarily fair to, to Cliff if he has to try to, you know, produce a playoff team and say Kyler misses, you know, the first six games of, of next year or, you know, even if he plays in those games, is not looking like the same player that he was pre-injury. And so I feel like if you're going to hit that reset button, you know, now is the time to do so. Yeah, and it's interesting. I know like with Alex is infamous as far as for being like I'm one of those places of it's like uh, Alex is uh, – not he's not even on the Firecliff Kingsbury train. He was on the why did you hire him in the first place? Like yeah. entirely for the whole thing. Yeah. I feel like for me, what I always have and this has kind of been my perspective. Someone even asked me this morning, is Cliff a good coach or not? And I said, I think that the issue that I have is I think a lot of people will look at Cliff, say he's somewhere in that zero to fifty percent of what you want in the coach range. Or you're kind of that person who's like, hey, it's like these players are having the drops. Guys are getting open here. He's having to put up with this GM and this quarterback. It's kind of like this 100% cliff. I think he's maybe more of grown into some of that maybe 75%-ish type of area. And I think that for a head coach, you kind of need to be that you know 90 to 100% in the NFL and being able to be more than you know just a guy who's probably your – you know, whether you want to say it or not, he's been more of a glorified offensive coordinator. And whether that's because of who he is or because of how the team has limited him, he just is, I think, limited in that regard. And I think that's where a lot of what you've seen then is when the team's not been at 100% around him. I think that really it's kind of exposed that the team has done what we've expected them to do with Colt McCoy, which is fight hard, push as best as they can, but still ultimately lose a lot of games. Uh, one thing that's Cardinals fans have brought up at least has kind of been an interesting dichotomy. I'm curious to get some of your thoughts on this because, you know, some people have basically looked at the Falcons and said, Hey, Arthur Smith, the job is safe. The general manager job at least is safe for this year. Does that mean that if the team is bad again, that you end up with more of a reset? And some people have argued that that could be applied to Cliff and Kyler. Like if the Cardinals go into next year, have a brand new offense, brand new coach, you're trying to build around the quarterback and it kind of falls apart again. You're like, man, we didn't get the right guy, but now we maybe are, you know, looking at an RG3 type of situation. If some have said he never came back off of his knee injury. I think that there's a little bit more to some of that as far as with Kyler. But again, you never know how a player is going to be as far as when they do rely on that mobility. I know some fans have been advocates saying, hey, you just need to basically look at this as a multi-year type of tank. Keep Cliff Kingsbury knowing you may not be able to get better with this Cardinal situation, and then you're probably having to kind of look at a full restart or something in a year or so. Do you think that it's better as far as the Cardinal situation? As far as building blocks go, do they have enough building blocks that we can say now is the time to do the reset, kind of rip off that Band-Aid, knowing that you'll be able to be more competitive, building a culture next year, kind of getting ready for 24, 25. Or is this kind of a place where maybe you should look at this as a spot and say, hey, like we're going to be playing for 2024 anyway. Why don't we just simply ride it out, be able to keep with where we are, and then truly evaluate where a quarterback is coming off of injury? And you're kind of got a lame duck head coach and maybe even – GM situation, Cardinals Adrian Wilson is the vice uh, uh, president, I believe, of player personnel. He's kind of been taking up the GM duties with Steve Kime out with Quentin Harris being the college scouting director, essentially, along with, uh, I think, Ryan Grigson. is <laughs> always families in the NFL, obviously. Uh, Drew Grigson, I should say, not Ryan Grigson. Uh, Ryan Grigson being the former Colts GM. 
if you feel like that the Cardinals, where you're looking at from an outside perspective, do you think that this is kind of the place of ripping off the Band-Aid, or is this kind of a spot where like things are so bad with ripping off that Band-Aid, no one's going to want to come here? You're almost kind of going to have to go into you know, next year expecting very little and potentially looking at 2024 to have the kind of clean out the entire Cardinals org. Well, I'm somewhat familiar with this because this was kind of the situation in Atlanta during the final years of Dan Quinn. Hmm. And in 2019, when the Falcons started, however awfully that they started that year, one in six or whatever the record was, I, I blocked it out of my memory, so I don't know the exact details of it. It seemed like inevitable that the Falcons were going to move on from Dan Quinn and, and sort of hit that reset button going into 2020, but they played well enough towards in the back half of that season for Arthur Blank, the Falcons owner, to want to give it one more go mm -hmm. with Dan Quinn. And, you know, the, then they started the next season 0-5, and, and they wound up firing Dan Quinn five games into it. And I think, you know, from my perspective, looking at it, like, Cliff is going to be on a, a scaldingly hot seat next year, w potentially without his QB1 at the beginning of the season. Mm -hmm. And it just feels like that is not helping anybody in that situation. And so if you're not absolutely confident as from an ownership standpoint um, in Cliff Kingsbury, not just next year, but in, in the future years beyond, I think it's probably the right call to not do make the mistake that the Falcons did and just, you know, hit that reset button now as opposed and let that new coach know coming into, you know, the season that, hey, like, we're not going to necessarily expect you, you know, to have to, you know, turn the ship immediately around and get this team back into postseason contention right away in 2023. Um, and it's more about laying that groundwork for making a real push in 2024 with Kyler, you know, healthier coming back from with some of the potential roster moves that you may or may not make next offseason and clear out maybe some of the older veterans and add some young pieces and, and all those various things. And I think that would be to me, from my perspective, having experienced something similar here in Atlanta would be the best plan moving mm. forward for the Arizona Cardinals. I think that's good. You mentioned Kyler Murray, at least. There's been a lot of camps out on him. There's some people that say they see the talent and being able to win with him. You know, he's a smaller quarterback. He's taken on the ACL. He's kind of gotten some injuries each and every year, but he also has done a much better job of protecting himself and improving in some areas. Um, he doesn't take the same sacks that Russell Wilson does for the most part. You can see at least this year the lack of a deep passing game really hurt him. Do you think that Kyler is one of the areas where you look at the typical narrative of, oh, you need a pocket passer, these running quarterbacks just get hurt and are out, and you're going to have to probably find a way to move on just because it's not sustainable? Or is this kind of a place where you can see more of where the talent is and it's just maybe underdeveloped with a Cliff Kingsbury not having that type of coach and a lot of ways, you know, like people will call him coach bro over here in Arizona, not having someone who will push the quarterback or hold people maybe more accountable so much as maybe expecting that players will hold themselves accountable. Do you think that Kyler Murray in this situation for the Cardinals, obviously they go and extended everybody. So you talk about like not having the confidence in Cliff Kingsbury. Well, the narrative at least is out. The Cardinals will, if they do move on, have to kind of admit that they were wrong in that extension handed out by owner Michael Bidwell. But the Kyler Murray extension, 
tons of drama back and forth, at least, whether he was going to get paid or not throughout the entire summer. Lots of issues. You can kind of see, at least, looking at the, I think, Baker Mayfield situation, looking at other quarterback spots, just how important it was for him to at least personally try to get a big deal for the most part. Because imagine if he tears his ACL, team has to decide whether they're, you know, picking up. They've got that fifth-year option, but after that... Be wide open. Do you think that the Kyler Murray experiment in Arizona is still an experiment? And do you think it could end negatively or positively, no matter who's the head coach, at least, of the Arizona Cardinals moving forward? Yeah, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting thing to watch, right? Because that next coach is, you know, presumably in, in this scenario that we're discussing, you know, is gonna be expected to get, you know, the most out of Kyler Murray. And, and turn him into, you know, one of those, you know, where he's arguably already there, top 10 quarterback, but also a guy that can go out there and win you a Super Bowl. And I think the difficult aspect of this with Kyler is now that he has been paid, there's going to be a lot more scrutiny mm-hmm. on him because, if you know, we're, we're seeing it elsewhere in the league where there's a lot of highly paid quarterbacks like Russell Wilson, like Aaron Rodgers, et cetera that aren't necessarily living up to those contracts, even if they played at really high levels in order to earn those contracts prior to getting uh, that payment. And that's going to be something that Kyler is going to have to deal with moving forward. And and next year, you know, just the nature of playing the quarterback position, you're going to get all the credit when the team's successful. You're going to get all the blame when the team is not successful. And next year, coming off that injury, um, you know, there's going to be a lot more scrutiny of like, what is he exactly bringing to the table? Mm. So, you know, I, I look at it like this is a situation where I think the new coach goes into it again in this hypothetical is saying like, OK, Kyler's going to be my guy. And my goal is to to make Kyler into the, the best quarterback uh, he's he's capable of being. And I, I think certainly we have seen flashes from Kyler, but I, I do think it's fair to wonder, could we have seen more from Kyler in the past and, and in the future moving forward? with different leadership in that building mm. with someone a general manager who's not infamous for whiffing on first round picks with a head coach love linebackers that, all the linebackers yeah you know and, and so um you know in a head coach that doesn't have any of the baggage that you know whatever you consider that to be with cliff kingsbury and, and some of the, the criticisms that he has so you know i i do feel like right now the scrutiny is not on kyler but you know, it there we're not that far away from, you know, that scrutiny coming and, and turning towards him due to the contract and, and due to, you know, just the very nature of being a quarterback in this league where ultimately if you're not getting the results, you know, they're gonna they're gonna start looking at you and pointing a finger at you like you're not capable of getting those results yeah. uh, at that point, which was not the case, you know, a year ago with Kyler where I think everybody um for the most part, and you can't speak for all Cardinals fans because I know there's various factions within within all fan bases but like i think most people outside of of cardinals land uh were thinking like yeah kyler's one of the young up-and-coming quarterbacks lock him up have that stability at that position in the long term um make him happy all that sort of stuff and you know it, we were a couple of years you know go rewind the clock aaron Rodgers was an mvp candidate russell wilson was a top five quarterback mm-hmm. and now all of a sudden like you know, they may be gone, right? You know, Matt Ryan, a situation where quickly went from one of the better quarterbacks in the league to 
he can't play football. So hopefully we won't see that similar sort of situation happen with Kyler. The thing that all those quarterbacks had in common was that they were on the older side of things. Kyler's mm-hmm. still very young in the prime of his career. So there's hope and optimism that, you know, he can avoid that fate for very, very, very many years. But um, certainly we've seen in this league that, you know, Derek Carr is a, a good example uh, of things can turn on you pretty quickly. Uh, in this league if, if you're not getting the results on the field. Yeah. As I say, Rodgers and Brady, even two of the best ever to do it, have had difficult seasons, at least for the most part, and yet both are still somewhat in playoff contention, and Cardinals are not. I, I do feel like a lot more has maybe been focused on on the Cardinals' ownership and how their structure has worked this year than in years past, in a lot of ways because of Steve Kime has taken a leave absence from the team, and as many have pointed out, there's not like any type of, oh, Steve Strong, or we're rooting for you. It's just kind of like he's just kind of gone out of the picture and just nothing you know it's like okay that's kind of weird at least for the most part you can kind of I think at least see some of the writing on the wall of maybe it's just kind of a parting of ways not having to fire him without necessarily you know having to you know put a black spot on there I think a lot more as far as the people have looked at the Cardinals ownership and you look at kind of past years of the you know Cardinals seemed like they're running well with Steve Kime and Bruce Arians on the same page Bruce retires from the team and then you find out well he probably at least just wasn't given what he wanted because he came out of retirement to go and coach the Bucks. So then you kind of wonder if a guy would rather retire than play for organization. There's a Cliff Kingsbury article that had someone close to Cliff hinted just that, that was on ESPN. I believe it was Jeremy Fowler and Josh Weinfist had talked about this. I think Adrian Wilson's a guy who probably has, you know, done his due diligence, can probably deserve a shot in the league, but Cardinals haven't really hired an outside general manager since the 90s. Uh, It's been almost as long as I've been alive since Arizona's actually brought someone outside of the organization and into it. Uh, People have wondered whether Michael Bidwell, at least, is just one of those owners who prefers to promote from within, whether that's some of the questions, obviously, about how involved he is with the team if he's overly involved. I think it's going to be very interesting because you look at other teams like the Falcons or the Colts, like, you know, I remember someone at least had said, like, what's the difference between Matt Ryan on the Falcons and Matt Ryan on the Colts? And it seems like that there's a lot of just dysfunctional organizations that you can see around the NFL. There's some that can get out of it at some point with that quarterback. It's just going to be interesting, I think, to see, you know, there's a certain level of talent your quarterback has to have but there's also a certain level of infrastructure that needs to be in place and I don't think that the Kyler Cliff and Kime setting was going to work long term I think that has been proven to be very obvious this year because you might be down two out of the three Uh, do you think that with organizational structure and ownership someone at least who's got a you know this is with Arthur Blank a different owner with the Falcons at least who obviously has had their own kind of share at least of questions that they've had going on of the Falcons and being able to go through. It's like some owners are good. Some owners at least are bad. Some at least just kind of are. Like There's not really anything you can do. They're just kind of there with the team and the team's success is not necessarily dependent on, you know, having a great owner, but your thoughts at least on how you can kind of build that culture, being able to change. Is that something at least that the Falcons are, building and kind of establishing that culture while they've got Arthur Smith here as their head coach, or is this kind of still searching for some of that culture? Cause I think a lot of Cardinals fans would say that Arizona is definitely searching for that culture right now. Yeah. I mean, Arthur Blank, the Falcons owner, his, the narratives around him have changed dramatically over the last nine months, mm. right? I would say prior to the Matt Ryan departure, Deshaun Watson pursuit, generally speaking, most people had very favorable opinions of Arthur Blank. 
uh, and, and sort of what he had built here over the last 20 years of ownership here in Atlanta, where, you know, that was the best 20 years of the Falcons, you know, franchise history. And they were generally consistently a, a, a good team, a competitive team. Um, and even in their down years outside of one or two, uh, were, were generally a, a team that you could look at and say, that's a competitive, well-run, competently run football team. Mm. Um, and then, you know, the whole Watson stuff happened and all of a sudden that reputation took, a, I think, a serious blow in a lot of people's eyes and, mm. and it's, it's caused people to wonder a little bit more about whether or not the underlying structure here in Atlanta is something great, that culture that you're referring to. Um, what's notable to me is, you know, with Arthur Blank, like his idols, I guess you could say, are the Roonies in Pittsburgh, mm -hmm. right? That sort of having that stability where the Roonies have owned that franchise for, what, 60-plus years and they've had three coaches and, you know, probably barely more than that general managers in that time. And and I think Arthur Blank looks at that uh, and that sort of stability and that sort of consistency and, you know, patience is is kind of the word that is often described to, to describe that Steelers organization uh, that is one of the more storied franchises in, in NFL history. Um, that's kind of what Arthur Blank wants to emulate. And I think that's part of the reason why. He was a little bit more patient with Dan Quinn than I think a lot of people thought he would be or or should be. Um, so it's interesting to sort of look at the Falcon situation where a year ago, you know, if you had had me on the podcast, I would have said, oh, yeah, the Falcons are one of the, the better run organizations, one of the more stable organizations. Again, they, you know, they've had their missteps from time to time. But generally, you know, I think a lot of people look at their ownership as a strength uh, versus a, a weakness of this team. And then, you know, nine months ago, that took a, a major hit. And so it'll be interesting to sort of see how the Falcons are moving forward. I still have a generally favorable opinion of that. You know, the way I, I kind of describe it is that, you know, the Falcons got drunk <laughs> one night in their pursuit of Deshaun Watson and, you know, a couple of days later sobered up. Uh, and realize, oh yeah, that that was that was probably a little crazy that we we went on that bender. Uh, you know, let's let's level heads and and whatnot prevail. Um, so it, with the Cardinals, you know, I know the Bidwells have, you know, again not being it as involved in that organization, but you know the Bidwells have not had a great reputation at least from afar. You know, um, over the years, and it'll be interesting to sort of see if that job or various jobs do come open there sort of what the perception is going to be, because we know with a lot of coaches, um, you know, the, the thing that they're most concerned with is, you know, beyond, you know, who my personnel is, who my quarterback is, is who am I working for? Who, who am I going to have to report to? And I do wonder if part of the reason why, you know, maybe they have this reputation of only hiring from within is because there aren't too many people from without hmm. that are, are necessarily eager to take some of those jobs. No, I, I think I'd agree with a lot of those. I think it's interesting given that like from at least what we were aware of, like the reason why the Cleveland Browns won the Deshaun Watson, and it's not even, I would say sweepstakes. I think that you lost it because you look at everything in the capital that was given up at least and how the Browns at least are maybe a step ahead or so of a team like the Broncos, <laughs> in a similar place at least where you're just like, 
got a quarterback. He's obviously like younger than Russell Wilson, of course, at least for the most part. And it was just interesting being, you know, with near the Atlanta area. The fact I think of the matter is, like you said, there's a lot of times where I think what a quarterback can do is it exposes parts of your franchise, either parts that are maybe more unsavory as far as, like you said, you know, getting drunk one night, pursuing, going off of this. It was, you know, let, let's just trade all the picks for him. Let's, he's young. Matt is, Matt, Matt's like 30, 40 something. He's, yeah, he's like 30, was it 38 this year, I think, or something? And yeah, 37, I think. Yeah, 37, yeah, 38 next year, I think. There is, I think, a lot that comes to it. And Bidwells have had the reputation. I know there's been a, a huge area of changing from the perception of the team because this is the team that, you know, would draft a first-round player, you would know that he'd get signed to a big contract elsewhere and then go on to dominate because it's like that's just what the Cardinals were. The ownership had been cheap and didn't have a stadium. Once the ownership passed on, you're like, okay, Michael Bidwell is a guy who will go out and pay players at least. There is going to be a little bit more of becoming that franchise. It's not just, you know, the clowns of the National Football League. Well, in some cases, like you said, the reputation is hard to be able to break. Uh, The 2018 season... I think most of the issues you can see now looking at Steve Wilkes in Carolina, this is something that Panthers fans are much more familiar with. A lot of success, at least for the most part, with Carolina Panthers goes to the Cardinals, kind of ends up the scapegoat for the season. They go out and hire an offensive guy to kind of fix the offense that had been pitiful. You look at where they're standing now, Steve Wilkes, I don't know if he gets that interim, keeps the job, I should say, as the interim head coach in Carolina. They're on the cusp of the playoffs, having a strong run game, having a very disciplined defense. It does kind of seem like, at least, that the situation, for the most part, was more favorable to him in Carolina than it clearly was in Arizona. And I think that's something to find out with Michael Bidwell of when they kept Steve Kine. I think Cliff was maybe the best they could probably do is just for people you know, taking on that job, having to kind of have the general manager hire a bunch of the other people on the coaching staff, a little bit less personnel control, I think. It's going to be very interesting to see, like you said, how some of these, you know, organizations and franchises go because the NFL is not for long. And, you know, Cardinals, Michael Bidwell chose to say, we're going to extend everybody, five-year extensions. And now people have wondered if anyone's going to, you know, besides Kyler Murray, makes it to the second year of all of that. I think that this is a huge offseason where I think the Cardinals coaching hire is going to be incredibly important because if they aren't able to get one of those top-tier guys or they kind of get what people would say is maybe the next Cliff Kingsbury, young guy, offensive mind at least, or less a guy who can you know be able to bring a culture to a team because – you know, they don't necessarily have that culture to build around. I think that's one of the places it's going to be really interesting to look at, especially as you look at a team like the Falcons who tried to find success, had a flash with Michael Vick, and it never truly was able to, I guess, blossom. And, and that's where I think we'll kind of transition to this next point of where you can look at with some of the culture and what I think we've seen a bit of with Arthur Smith. There's been a lot of really struggles with the Panthers. I said not Falcons, sorry. Struggles with other teams in the NFC South this year, which includes the Panthers, the Saints, um, obviously the Buccaneers. Falcons have been one of those teams that looked like they were competing for that uh, NFC South division title, and then things just kind of fell off over time as teams' second half adjusted. Falcons have had a very run-first offense. Um, Their passing attack, at least, has been kind of the one that's been interesting this year. Losing, obviously, a guy in Kyle Pitts for the season hurts, having to kind of go through a rookie um, being on the offense in Drake London, kind of replacing a Calvin Ridley, who is not just suspended for the year, ends up kind of getting traded to Jacksonville. 
there's a lot going on as far as what the Falcons can you talk a little bit about what we've seen from their offense this year and some of that rushing attack, particularly when it's come to Marcus Mariota, at least had a lot of negatives outside of his own rushing ability. He gets benched for the rookie and Desmond Ritter. What really is this Falcons team? Because like a lot of Cardinals fans, we know what we're going to get in Colt McCoy of it's not going to be as great. He'll do great against a bad defense, at least for the most part. But great is like 200 yards and maybe two touchdowns. It's, then the Falcons, on the other hand, it feels like a lot more of it's been kind of an unknown. And how much of that unknown is just trying to see what this Falcons offense has for the guys they bring back for next year and what those building blocks are versus you know, having kind of that core idea, we've got our coach, we've got our GM, we're here moving forward. Maybe it's just that quarterback spot that's up for debate. Yeah, this season was interesting because the Falcons running game, you know, came sort of firing out of the gates, uh, you know, went from a bottom five rushing offense last year to a top five one this year. And that has obviously been their identity. That's been the strength of their team. And they were able to ride that running game for the most part to a four and four start, get in the first place, take the lead in the, the NFC South. And really the story has been, can they evolve their offense beyond just basically being this one dimensional run heavy attack? And mm. that's ultimately kind of what led to Marcus Mariota's benching is their attempts to sort of become a little bit more balanced uh, with throwing the football. You just didn't see the development from the middle of the season to the bye week in week 14 for Mariota. And I think the Falcons rightfully decided that it was time to turn the page. You know, Falcon fans um, have been, you know, screaming, hey, you know, let's turn the page to Desmond Ritter much earlier than than week 14. Um, <laughs> but, it, you know, eventually, you know, uh, you know, better late than never, as they say. But, um, you know, I think with this team, you know, a lot of talk, this season has been surrounding, you know, how one dimensional they are, despite the fact that they've used their last two top uh, draft picks on pass catchers. And, you know, that led to a lot of frustration for a lot of folks, you know, particularly fantasy uh, football owners with, with Kyle Pitts and whatnot, uh, not seeing the ball. And, you know, I think one of the positives from Desmond Ritter's ascension is that you're starting to see Drake London be a lot more involved in the offense than he was under Mariota. It just never looked like he and Mar and Mariota, London, that is, were ever really on the same page. And and by, you know, later as we got later in the season, that seemed to be a, a bigger issue uh, week, week in and week out. So, you know, I think with the Falcons, obviously the, the big question mark moving forward is going to be the quarterback situation. And is mm -hmm. Desmond Ritter their guy, or do they have to go out there and, and find somebody else? We all knew that Marcus Mariota was a bridge quarterback, and one of the answers we needed to find out by the end of the season is, you know, is Desmond Ritter just another bridge quarterback, or is he the guy that they can necessarily build around? And, you know, one of the question marks with waiting so late in the season to start Ritter but of course the team will tell you like well we didn't turn the page uh, because we didn't necessarily think he was quite ready for that um, which is obviously debatable but like you wonder four games is enough time to really evaluate Desmond Ritter in order to determine that and so I think this weekend's game against the Cardinals will be a big part of that evaluation because of these four final games road games against the Saints and Ravens home games against 
the Bucks and Cardinals, this Cardinals game, no offense to any Cardinals fans watching, is absolutely the most winnable game there. And so you would like to see a positive performance from Ritter and earlier this week on Lockdown Falcons. You know, I kind of termed it that way, a make or break game for Ritter, not in a necessarily like, oh, all of a sudden, like, you know, it's all it's all doomed if, if the Falcons don't walk away with a win. But you, you do feel like if if they can't get a win this week at home against a quote unquote inferior opponent, um, you know, it's going to be hard to really have confidence moving forward that Ritter is the guy, uh, you know, heading into next year and hopefully can provide some stability at that quarterback position. So a lot of that is is really the situation here in Atlanta, even if they're not necessarily competing for a postseason spot like I think they ideally would want to um it's just really about like can they figure out this situation you know and and you know if you're rebuilding it's a lot easier to rebuild if you feel like you have a quarterback right Mm, than it is if you don't have a quarterback so I I think that's really the thing that's kind of hanging over the Falcons head and I, I think you know we'll have an answer you know at some point Sunday whether or not you know Ritter is you know, a, a step closer to being that guy or are we, are we, you know, a step away from that? Yeah. I, I've also looked at and seen that it feels like that. And this is just maybe just the fantasy football playing in. You look at how we've seen kind of Cordero Patterson been used at least, but the team, as far as for where you look at, at least for who's been kind of leading the rushing attack, it's been the rookie Tyler Algier has actually been the one that's there. The Cardinals at least seem to, um, they did pretty well overall against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers run game, except for obviously a 44-yard, you know, swing pass play to Leonard Fournette, at least, that ended up kind of swinging the game back in favor of the Buccaneers being able to kind of catch up. Arizona has had, statistically speaking, like either the worst or the second worst defense as far as giving up points. Now, they haven't been the worst as far as against the past or the worst against the run, but they've been just bad enough against both. And this is, like you said, it's viewed as an inferior opponent. They're going to be missing one of their better pass rushers in Zach Allen, at least for sure, for this game, if not for the remainder of the season. Byron Murphy has already uh, been moved to IR. He was kind of their top cornerback and was part of why their defense at least was you know, probably outperforming what many people's expectations were. They've had a little bit more success with some of the rookie pass rushers getting a push. And obviously with J.J. Watt, the big news this year has been that he is going to be retiring at the end of the season. Um, He's already played his last home game for the Arizona Cardinals. He's played well enough that a lot of Cardinals fans felt, hey, if he wants to come back, like he may get a second contract, whether from Arizona or from someone else. Instead, it seems more like he wants to kind of go out on the top of his game. You really feel like as far as that matchup goes, for the most part, like you said, it's going to be determining probably a lot for Falcons fans as to can Desmond Ritter show enough at least to bring him back as a not just in the running game threat, but be able to actually thrive in a passing situation. This Cardinals team is not a team that's been able to get a lot of um, sacks, but they have gotten a lot of pressures and they've also been able to force turnovers. Now, I think that this game, like you said, is not even just maybe a superior, inferior opponent. Cardinals' Buda Baker is out for the rest of the season as well. He's been kind of their savior as far as making a play when other guys haven't, stepping up, limiting some of the big play threats. I agree with you that if this Falcons offense isn't able to really kind of showcase uh, at least enough, then it's really going to be hard to sell me and others, I think, on Desmond Ritter coming back for a second year as the starter. 
You also feel like, though, the situation is rough because I think Mariota played for so much because the Falcons were in contention in a really bad NFC South. I'm curious, at least, to think at least as far as for what can Cardinals fans maybe glean going up against this Falcons team, which, let's be honest, their defense has been a lot of Grady Jarrett. It's shown some improvements as far as being able to get turnovers, but how do you feel like this Falcons defense could attack a Cardinals offense with a 36-year-old Colt McCoy who... You know, like he said, he wanted to improve his mobility, try to be able to keep Cliff Kingsbury offense going, hurts himself running the ball on a third and one and is out for with a concussion. Trace McSorley just was not accurate enough to move forward, but it's not like the Cardinals and Colt McCoy really you have stuff that you can sell on. They've had three touchdowns, I believe, in total since Kyler Murray's season-ending ACL tear. None of those have been passing touchdowns. They've been rushing touchdowns. Really, a lot of the Cardinals offense, I think Kyler made up for some of the flaws and kind of you know, patched over like with duct tape maybe, but that's where I think at least in this game, the thing I'm curious about is how do you think the Falcons defense will attack this Cardinals offense? And is this going to be a kind of close game with Arizona, similar to the Buccaneers game last week, or do you expect that this is going to be a place where the Falcons defense, maybe some of those building blocks at least start to cement themselves going into 2023? Yeah, you know, attack is an interesting way because, like, that's not necessarily the Falcons' MO because they 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 love their bend-but-don't-break style of, of defense. Like, they're, they're, they're like, we don't want to give up big plays, which they haven't been too successful at this year, although – you know, for the most part, outside of a handful of games, uh, it hasn't been a, a major issue for them. They've been maybe about league average uh, with giving up big plays, but mm-hmm. had a couple of games against Cincinnati, one of those Carolina games where they just got gashed over and over again uh, uh, with big plays that padded that total. But, like, you know, they, they basically, like, will, you know, if Colt McCoy is going to dink and dunk, um, which has been sort of what I've seen from this Cardinals offense mm-hmm. the last two weeks with him and, and McSorley, you know, the Falcons will have no problem conceding that. Um, and and then hopefully they'll be able to get off the field in the red zone. And that's been, I won't say a strength of theirs, but relative to other weaknesses, it has been something that they have done a decent job uh, of doing for the most part this season, which is getting those stops in the red zone. Mm. Um, and unfortunately for them, their offense, it's basically the idea of, you know, you guys will settle for three and we'll trade you and we'll get seven. And when they were having a high-functioning red zone offense earlier in the season, that was a successful formula for them to win uh, some of those close games um, that they're inevitably going to be in. I expect this one to be a similar game, and it may just boil down to, you know, one or two red zone conversions being the thing that decide the outcome of this game or one or two turnovers that sort of decide the outcome of this game. So when it comes to the Falcons defense going up as the Cardinals uh, offense, I, I do like the matchup of the Falcons pass rush against this Cardinals offensive line. Uh, that's kind of been pieced together with like mask and tape at this point in time in the season. And it's beat uh, do, up too. It's not even like the backups. It's, Oh, this is, this is, uh, we're getting down to, you got your backup left tackle. Kelvin Beecham, their right tackle was abused last week. Uh, the Buccaneers at one point just moved their young pass rusher over to his side. And that kind of ended up giving trace McSorley fits, um, they then sent a blitz on the left side, wasn't picked up. Um, McSorley ends up fumbling a ball on third and one at like the 21-yard line. Gives the ball back to the Buccaneers when you're like, you're about to put the game away, go up by two scores, and suddenly you ended up getting Tom Brady the ball back with time left on the clock. Their starting center has been banged up at least, and really the left guard being out for the season, like you said, 
you're probably looking at at least if it's going to be one in the trenches you feel probably more confident about the falcons outside of you know jj watt basically having some sort of you know resurgence of 2015 watt and like uh you know the, what was the the kobe 60 point game or something like that on his way out outside of something like that i kind of agree with you is that if you stop the cardinals rushing attack and try to focus on the pass they can get the ball to deandre hopkins but they have not had big plays. Kyler Murray, before the injury, was last in the league in his yards per attempt at 6.1. That's lower than Kenny Pickett, Tom Brady, Baker Mayfield, Carson Wentz. This was not a Cardinals offense that could threaten you deep. And it really hasn't been that same way, even with Colt McCoy there. So you got to really wonder, is there going to be a way if the Falcons are the run-heavy attack? can run on the Cardinals, that's going to be a question I think I have at least of how many turnovers are you going to force since this Cardinals defense. It's built the same way. They're a bend but don't break defense that turns into a well we broke defense every once in a while and they really just thrive on they need those takeaways to be able to win the game and I think like you it's going to depend on that rookie quarterback in Desmond Ritter limiting the amount of times that you give the ball away, limiting three and outs and now, that's something at least that I think will determine the game ultimately is who's got the turnovers at the end of the day will probably be the team that leads in the box score. Yeah, yeah I think that's a fair way of, of looking at it. It's like, you know, the, the Cardinals aren't necessarily a team that's built to really exploit the Falcons' weaknesses because, the you know, the, the, the Falcons' defense, they can't pressure the quarterback. They're one of the worst pass rushers in the league. But going up against a, a, a beat-up Cardinals offensive line, like, that is not as big a liability this week as it would be against some other teams. They're not necessarily a big play um, offense that can sort of force the Falcons to have to abandon the run, you know, build an early lead uh, early in games with, off of, you know, big plays from DeAndre Hopkins or, or Hollywood Brown or whatever. Um, and then, you know, force the Falcons to have to play from from behind, which has been the case the last two weeks when they've lost to the Saints and Ravens falling into 14 nothing holes. Uh, and, and the Cardinals are not a team that's known for their fast starts. That's That was mm. the problem, the, the the or not necessarily last week against Baltimore, but certainly against the Saints. Um, and so Desmond Ritter has been known, going back to his days at Cincinnati, for getting off to some slower starts. Uh, that's been the case the last two weeks. You wonder how much of that is just playing on the road versus now that he'll be at home. Um, but it, it seems like if he does have another slow start here at home on Sunday, the Cardinals aren't really the team that is going to be able to exploit that by mm -hmm. getting off to a fast start themselves. So we may see a game where it's like 3-3 at halftime or something like that. And like that, to me, plays to the Falcons' strengths than necessarily uh, the Cardinals' strengths because that's a game where the Falcons can continue to run the football in the second half of the game and feel like, you know, you know we have the superior run game. Uh, that could sort of exploit that. So um, I, I do feel like this is a, a very favorable game for the Falcons. I don't uh, think that the Falcons are good enough to run away with this game. It'll probably be a back and forth game. Uh, you know, at the end, we'll come down to who has the ball last. And, you know, I feel somewhat more confident about Desmond Ritter's ability to to lead the Falcons down the field if he needs to get a game winning drive in the fourth quarter, um, you know, going up against the Cardinals defense. Uh, then I do about Colt McCoy's ability to do that even against a defense as bad as the Falcons. Um, I feel like, you know, we'll, we'll be okay if it comes down to Desmond Ritter versus Colt McCoy uh, in the fourth quarter. But, 
we'll we'll just sort of have to see if if this game lives up to those expectations. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's like almost like I'm looking at a mirror image of each other as far as what the tough offenses. Cardinals also, like you said about trying to get off to a fast start or a slow start, I think that's where the turnovers are important. Arizona's actually out of the last seven games they've played. They've blown the lead, so they've had a lead in the game. I think the only exception would be the Seahawks game, which I know they trailed for a lot of it. They did take the lead at one point. Uh, but for the most part, they blew a lead that they had at halftime against the Niners, blew a lead against the Chargers where they were up you know, 24 to 18, I should say, blew that game. Uh, they at least blow the lead against the Patriots. Granted, the Kyler Murray injury plays a factor there. And then the thing I remember the most, at least, was the Buccaneers and the Cardinals. The Cardinals gave them everything they had in the first half. And they still walked away with the only basically a tied game or losing at the half. And you're like, oh, gosh, like they gave everything they had in that first half. And you know that there wasn't going to be anything better in the second half. And they did end up blowing at least leads in both the Broncos and Buccaneers games. I, I did want to at least say at least that even though that may be the expectation for kind of Cardinals fans is blowing the lead, it's going to be interesting because we've seen the team be able to thrive off of those turnovers. I think at least the biggest thing for the most part when people are looking for this Cardinals game is if they lose this game, you really feel like even going against where it could be backups for the 49ers next week, their defensive coordinator I know is going to be up for head coaching jobs. I feel like that this is a game that the Cardinals, this may be their last chance to win as well, just as Falcons fans feel about that too. Um, it's going to be a tough game, I think, for them because it's on the road. They've actually been a better road team than a home game. A home team, they've gone one and eleven in their last twelve home games. Uh, it's just kind of a little crazy narrative. When we get to the end of the season, at least for that, what a lot of people will say: Hey, if you lose this game, this will probably be it for Cliff Kingsbury because even though it's on the road and it's a tough place, you at least have had opportunities. If the Cardinals do move on from Cliff Kingsbury, who are some of the names that you think they should at least approach in the off season? How much of that is? Some teams wanted to hire and get the general manager in place first. I felt like this is more about you need to kind of find the coach and then find a general manager on the same page as him, whether that's someone already you have in Adrian Wilson or more. Who do you think the Cardinals should at least pursue? Most Cardinals fans have wanted to actually pursue a rival that you've talked about, I think, at least many times as a Falcons fan and Sean Payton. I've more pointed out at least the fact of people are saying, no one's going to want this Cardinals job. It's terrible. Oh, yeah, go get Sean Payton. I'm like, something doesn't seem to kind of line up with what fans are saying there. What do you feel like as far as would be the Cardinals pursuing? Is Sean Payton something that should be a reasonable option to try to pursue, swing for the fence on? Or is this going to be kind of a place where you've got some other names that you think could be out there as the Cardinals kind of or for the first time maybe going through not just a team reset but perhaps a cultural reset for the first time in the post Bruce Arians era yeah you know at first glance I wouldn't necessarily look at Sean Payton as a particularly realistic option but Sean Payton as someone who I've well experienced with is is not the most predictable person so I trying to get inside his mind of what he's going to value like I'm sure you know he's going to prefer a team that already has an established quarterback or a team that's in a position at the top of this year's draft uh, to acquire that said quarterback. And maybe he could look at, you know, maybe he does have a very favorable opinion of, of Kyler Murray and would love uh, to to build it around him um, and would have the sort of clout to kind of handpick his own general manager in Arizona uh, if they were able to lure him there. So it's an option. I, you know, I don't necessarily look at it as a, a betting favorite in this regard, but it, you know, you, you could convince me that there is a, a path to Deshaun Payton. But to, to be honest with you, in terms of like the other coaching candidates, I have not paid 
that much attention because, you know, I've been focused on other things with the Falcons and, and not feeling like, okay, they're going to get back into the coaching cycle. Right, right. But obviously, like, you know, some of the names that do stand out, you know, you you do wonder, do they go offensive coach again because of the presence of Kyler Murray and feeling sure. like you need to get better, more out of that offense than Cliff Kingsbury? Or do you do sort of the classic, okay, well, you hired an offensive coach last time, you do the opposite and get a, like a defensive-minded coach. And does that, you know, bring a D'Amico Ryan? Does that bring a Dan Quinn or somebody like that? Or do you go out there and get, uh, was it Shane Steichen? Um, or Ben Johnson or whoever else are the that hot, young hot offensive coordinator. Yeah, yeah. Everyone wants to see from get the McVay. Yeah, yeah. Shanahan coaching tree somewhere along those lines. So, um, yeah, I I have no real perspective on it. Generally, like I would probably lean offense, but because Cardinals fans just experienced the young hot offensive coordinator that you know has. You know, I think spent an afternoon with Sean McVay or Kyle Shanahan at some point in the past. Uh, so therefore had their magic fingers uh, laid on, on Cliff Kingsbury. That may not be as exciting uh, to this organization as it might be for other organizations. Yeah, it's, it's like you said, I think that the Cardinals are in a spot where when you're talking about needing to rebuild your culture, it's almost feels like that. This would be a team you'd go after a guy like a Dan Quinn, who had been a former head coach, had basically been. You know, he was on the defensive side of the ball, but at least when you're talking about, like, experience, respect, that was part of why I think when the Cardinals were looking at post-Bruce Arians, they were open to wanting to kind of find that culture change guy Why they went for a defensive person in Steve Wilkes. And then, of course, the issue being, at least, that when Steve Wilkes didn't get to necessarily pick his own offensive coordinator because Steve Kime wanted Mike McCoy, and this is kind of why years later you can look back at some of the decisions made and say, yeah, Steve Kime's pick lasted about seven games and the offense was atrocious. The Cardinals really are in a spot where I think I agree with you. They could go with either because it's not like you can say that the defense is a selling point. There's some young talent that we've seen over there. There's also guys like Byron Murphy and Zach Allen had career years and they're not under contract for next season. They're going to be free agents. Some of that, I think, it just falls onto you had a general manager issue with Arizona that kind of was also a head coach problem because you weren't really able to lure a experienced veteran head coach to this team. I, I agree with you in that it's going to be very interesting to see what the Cardinals ownership does, particularly because I think a lot of people have kind of been, I think uh, the term I almost used was, it's like people have been almost gaslighting Michael Bidwell into saying that you're part of the problem and step aside for a coach coming in. That's something I feel like has not necessarily been anything close to the case in Atlanta. It feels like Arthur Smith, at least, has had the ability to kind of have control, to have some say, to be able to kind of put his culture in place. I don't think Cliff Kingsbury ever got that shot, but I also don't think Cliff Kingsbury really was that guy in Arizona. So I think that's going to be something that will be very interesting to it'll be something to see. I think the biggest thing, at least people can say, is we kind of know what the Cardinals need. And I don't know if people think that the Cardinals can necessarily get what they need for the most part, at least. And I would be fine as far as whatever person they hire, if it's respected, if it's a general manager, and especially being outside of the organization or, you know, someone who's even done it before, I think will be super important um, for the team. Uh, let's wrap it up at least and kind of just talk about some of this uh, with the Cardinals. Cardinals win because blank. 
Falcons win because blank. What do you think will be the narrative for this game? And if any score predictions you have, feel free to shoot those out. Although we, we won't hold you accountable to them. At least I picked a Bucks blowout last week that I thought the Cardinals could maybe make a little closer. Did not expect the Trace McSorley to take Tom Brady to overtime. Still got the call right on the win-loss. Just, you know, I picked the Bucks and the over, at least, for that 7.5 line. So give Cardinals some credit, at least for the most part, for keeping their... What do you think is going to be the narrative of this game for whichever team ends up winning? Yeah, my my score prediction is 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 going to be a low scoring affair, twenty to like sixteen, twenty to seventeen. Falcons, I have them winning. Um, yeah, you know, I I think if the you know if the Cardinals wind up winning this game, it'll be because Colt McCoy pulled some magic, you know, in the fourth quarter, you know, taking advantage of of. You know, a vulnerable Falcons defense uh, and was able to put something together late in the game and a similar sort of dynamic for Desmond Ritter. But I think clearly with the Falcons, if they are able to to get that win, it's like, OK, you know, Desmond Ritter got his first win at home in front of the home crowd, um, you know, got that win that, that we expect him to get. And so now it's like, OK, like now that you've gotten that out of the way, let's you know, let's see what else you can do before the end of the season and, and, and building for more if you know I can I can't speak to what it says for the Cardinals if, if Colt McCoy gets a, a win this week uh moving forward because it just kind of feels like an empty win against a, a struggling Falcons team and a rookie quarterback but I know for at least from the Falcons perspective if they walk away with a loss it's like okay well n- do we need to go back to the drawing board uh, at the quarterback position, and I think those voices get a lot louder uh, if the Falcons don't come away with a W. Yeah, yeah, and I think at least for me, it comes down to, like we said, the turnovers. I don't think that the Cardinals are able to protect a older, uh, less mobile quarterback in Colt McCoy. They lost him at least to a concussion for the most part, and um, that's where kind of the Broncos game went south. It feels kind of like whatever pass rush ends up kind of dominating. I think the best thing I would put is, Falcons win because of Grady Jarrett. Cardinals win because of J.J. Watt. It won't be because of someone like Abuda Baker or Zach Allen. Part of what was most, I think, optimistic or best about the Cardinals this year, J.J. Watt's all that's left. (laughs) You don't really have as much outside of, I think, maybe Cam Thomas and MyJ Sanders. They're down to their second strings and backups, at least at corner. They're down to the same thing, at least at safety. The linebackers have been able to produce and make plays, but they've also been young and making mistakes. I've got this at least, like you said, 20 to 17. I've got this as a 22 to 14, I think is what I had for the most part of a game. I think that the Cardinals may end up putting themselves in a late position to kind of, you know, maybe get that, uh, keep it in to a one score game. Don't get the onside kick, kind of that type of a narrative. Uh, it'd be interesting to at least say, at least, I don't know if Youngway, at least you're, the kicker is active or not as far as those. I know that Falcons recovered a couple of those onside kicks. So if the, area ends up being flipped it'd be interesting if you know you could see some late game heroics that the falcons are able to be it if they're the ones down you know 22 to 14 but i do think that this is a spot where it's on the road i think that that probably is going to be favoring the falcons especially in a environment with them being run heavy i think it is going to be a spot where you know if grady jarrett against a bad cardinals offensive line I would probably trust the Falcons' offensive line a bit more than I would Arizona's and a bit more of their offensive scheme to be able to produce um, in running the football than Arizona's, at least right now. 
Um, we'll see at least if it's there. If this ends up being a win for the Cardinals, they're going to probably jump from, I think, the fourth pick to the ninth pick, potentially. Falcons would then, I think, rocket more up the draft board. So you're kind of in this tank bowl type of situation where not that both fans are rooting for teams to lose, but there's at least some consolation prizes for each team uh, should they end up kind of dropping uh, a game in week 17 of the season. Absolutely. Awesome. Hey, thanks so much again for joining. Um, why don't you go ahead and shout yourself out? And obviously we've talked about Locked on Falcons, but if following you at Falc fans, if you want to plug any content or anything else that you have for the time being, uh, this is the time. Go ahead and uh, just promote the heck out of whatever you've been working on for the most part and let us know where we can follow you. Yeah, of course, uh, people can find my stuff at Locked on Falcons daily, Monday through Friday on a variety of podcast platforms, including YouTube. If you enjoy Falcons snark, you can follow me on Twitter at Falcfans, F-A-L-C-F-A-N-S. And I'm supposed to write something for the Falcoholic, but as I'm sitting here with you, Blake, I don't know what I'm going to write about uh, <laughs> later this week. So there probably will be something up later this week uh, about this matchup. But right now, I... It, waiting for the inspiration bug to hit so uh people can stay tuned for that yeah perfect yeah there's been plenty of inspiration for the cardinals we can't go two to three days a week without staying out of the media it feels like for the most part and it's all being broadcast in hard knocks which is lovely this season uh this is going to be an interesting game for sure uh thanks again guys for tuning in so much this has been the rotb pod make sure you're following us on twitter at rotb pod as well as at revenge of the birds.com you can find us in apple Podcasts, spotify podcast google podcasts anywhere you listen to uh, your podcast you can find us uh, aaron thanks again so much for joining Cardinals, we are out.